All right, good job. Well done on the game. Sorry if you didn't win, but some of you are obviously very cultured. So, all right, settle in, settle in. All right, listen up, listen up. All right, so there's a reason. There's a reason that we played that game to, to start off here. So obviously a product is identified by what we would call a logo or a sign. It indicates who or what it belongs to. So for example, if you have a computer, most likely your computer is going to have some type of uh, logo or image on it that's going to indicate where it was made or who it belongs to, right? So we've got a nice little Apple on it. We know that it's a Mac. It belongs to Apple. So as Christians, as Christians, we too have a logo or a sign that identifies us with Jesus. And that's exactly what baptism is to the Christian. It's the sign that identifies us with our relationship with Jesus. So in other words, baptism is ultimately about identity. And when we mean by identity, we mean who or what defines you. And in the case of baptism, it's about identifying with Jesus in his death and his resurrection, showing that you have been made new and you now represent him and his team. So the question is, what is baptism? This is something that I love talking about with people whenever they come in and they do baptism interviews. For many of you, you have actually done that with me. And so some of this might sound a little repetitive because you've maybe sat with me and we've talked about this together. But I want to talk a little bit about this from the Bible and kind of just unpack a, a little deeper meaning for you as to what we mean when we talk about baptism. If we want to talk about kind of like the symbol or the sign of baptism, baptism simply put is an outward expression or an outward sign of something that has taken place inwardly. Something that necessarily people can't see. So it's a physical or a, a actual representation, a picture, if you will, of something that actually has happened on the inside. It's an object lesson. And one of the places I love to talk about this is in Romans chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead, open to Romans chapter 6, or if you have your phones, open up to Romans chapter 6. It'll be important for you to follow along here as we go through it. So Romans chapter 6, and we're going to be looking just at the first four verses. There's a lot more we could talk about, but we're just going to focus on the first four verses together. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read them all together, and then we're going to kind of walk back through and unpack a little bit more of what this passage is talking about here. So Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. This is Paul writing. Paul says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, to understand what Paul is talking about here, 
we have to kind of understand a little bit about what he's been writing about. Because if you look at verse 1, verse 1 sounds kind of like an abrupt place to start, right? He, his, his first uh, statement here, or first question, is kind of a hypothet- hypothetical question he's asking to his audience. Uh, so he's writing to them, and he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? So here's what you have to know about what Paul's been writing about up to this point. The, 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 the book of Romans, or the letter to the Romans, was Paul really unpacking the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of the good news of Jesus. What he does in the first three chapters of the book of, Ro- book of Romans is that he basically just spells out for us just how sinful we are, how desperate our condition is, that we need to be saved. And so he spells out time and time again, listen, you are condemned, you are uh, not right with God, there's nothing you can do to be made right with God. The only thing that you can do, chapters 4 and 5 talk about, is put your faith and your trust in Jesus, because Jesus alone is who can save you. And so chapters 4 and 5 are really unpacking the, the benefits of putting our, our faith in Jesus and what happens when we do so. When we do so, our old life of sin is done away with and God now sees us as perfectly righteous. And so what Paul is writing here, because he anticipates people in their minds might have a question because they think to themselves, well, man, if Jesus's grace or if our sin makes Jesus's grace look all the more amazing, right? Because if we are as sinful as what this letter says, then man, if Jesus has saved us, then man, if we sin even more, it's going to make Jesus's grace look even more amazing. And Paul says, no, (laughs) you have the wrong logic. To have that in mind, it means you don't really understand because the gospel is setting you free from living for the intentionality of wanting to pursue sin, but actually pursuing righteousness because something has changed in you when you put your faith in Jesus. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, by no means. In other words, absolutely not. You cannot still live in sin. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That's kind of an interesting phrase, right? He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So the question you have to ask yourself is, what does it actually mean to die to sin? What does it mean to actually die to sin? When exactly did that happen? And he talks about that here in verse 3. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So he talks about here that we have been baptized into Jesus, baptized specifically into his death. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to sound really confusing, but I hope that it all becomes clear by the end of the night. When he talks about baptism here, he is not talking about water baptism. So when we think about baptism, what immediately comes to mind for most of you is probably that thing we see on Sundays where we put somebody in the water and they come back out of the water, or you might even have an image in your mind of other churches that do like sprinkling of babies. That might be your idea of what baptism is, but that's not what actually Paul is talking about. We're going to talk about how it will point to that, but baptism as a term is actually a a general term that was used in the New Testament, and it's a word that means to be immersed in something or to be covered by something. 
So if you think about what baptism actually looks like on a Sunday when you put somebody under the water, think about it as they are being covered in something. They are being put inside of or concealed in something. So when it talks about baptism here, it's talking about the fact that we have been covered by Jesus. So I'll unpack this a little bit more as we go along here. So he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, notice it says into Christ Jesus, were first of all baptized into his death. Baptized into his death. So the question is, when is this baptism actually taking place? What is he talking about here? He's talking about when you put your faith in Jesus. So that one-time event in life where God changes your heart, when he opens up your sinful heart so that you can respond to him in faith, that very moment that you put your faith in Jesus, you are now covered by Jesus in the fullness of his life, which includes his death that he talks about here in verse 3, and then in verse 4, also baptized into his what? Not just his death, but also his what? His resurrection. Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was also raised from the dead, we might walk in newness of life. So we are raised to walk to a new life. In other words, this idea of when you are immersed in Jesus, it's a symbol of your death, of our death, to our life of sin and our resurrection to a new life of holiness. In other words, he says, the moment that you put your faith in Jesus, listen, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, in many ways, you die. Your old self dies. That's the language the Bible uses. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.17, you should write that down and you should go look at it later. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says this. He says, if anyone is, listen, in Christ. So anytime you hear that language, in Christ, think about faith. If anyone is in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. That's that metamorphosis language. It's that language that we use for what a caterpillar undergoes when it goes from a caterpillar to a butterfly. It is completely made new. And so your life is now different. You are now identified, not by your old life of sin, but now you are identified by Jesus because your life is now covered and you are concealed in him by your faith. Now, I was trying to think about how I could illustrate this for you. So I had, uh, I had Carrie not help me this week with a little bit of a project. So anybody here like Jello? Oh, yeah. This is nice. What's the blue jello? What's the flavor? Is it like blue raspberry? I mean, that's what I guess, or blueberry, whatever. So we think to ourselves, so let's pretend that our nice blue raspberry jello, oh man, this looks so good. Um, let's pretend that this is, this is Jesus. I know. Jello, Jesus, you know, it all goes together. So when the Bible talks about, I know, right? So when the Bible talks about you being in Christ, and believe me, if you go back now in your Bible, if you have a Bible reading plan, I would encourage you from now on, whenever you see that phrase in Christ, highlight it, underline it, because you're going to see it a lot more. Because what it describes is your 
faith and what it looks like to be in Jesus. So let's say this is, this is Jesus. Uh, I had to go through my house and find the best character for this. Uh, this is that guy from Trolls. What's his name? Uh, Branch? Is that his name? Anybody, anybody watch Trolls? Oh, don't act like you don't know Trolls. You guys have watched it, I'm sure. Trolls? Surely you have. So you got a little, little branch here. So the moment that he puts his faith or his trust in Jesus, what happens to him? He gets immersed. He gets, he gets immersed into... Yum. Our jello here. You can pass that around there. Go ahead. You guys want to take a little scoop out of there? Go for it. Go for it. Oh, don't eat the character, though. So, obviously, a little bit of a cheesy slash sticky illustration there. But understand what the Bible is saying here. God, when he now looks at you, student, if you have truly put your faith in Jesus, when he looks at you, what he sees is no longer you. He sees Christ who surrounds you. When the Bible says you are now perfectly righteous or you are justified, it's because when he looks at you, what he sees is Christ who surrounds you because you have been baptized, you have been immersed in, you have been covered by Jesus. Now, like I said, Jello is a silly illustration of this, which is why a better picture of that transformation is water baptism. When we talk about water baptism, that is exactly why we do what we do in churches. When we have people stand up in front of the entire church, tell about their faith in Jesus, and then we have a, a leader or a pastor or an elder who then helps them under the water and then raises them back up because what that is doing is that is picturing, it is illustrating the fact of what has happened in their life on the inside. This going down under the water pictures their death, identifying with Jesus. In fact, that Jesus died. He, was di he died and he was then buried. He was completely covered and submerged, but then he didn't stay under. He rose up. We bring people back over the water. We don't keep them under the water, thank goodness, right? We don't drown them. We don't actually die. But it represents the fact that whoever it was, right? If it was like a Nora or an Allison or a Natalie, right? All of you have been baptized here recently, right? It's to picture the fact that you have been made new, that God has changed you, that you are no longer the same. Now, in that very moment, God did not save you when you went under the water. No, again, it's meant to picture what has already happened in your life, that God has changed your heart, causing you to respond and put your faith in him. It's a picture that shows that he has made you brand new and you now identify with him. So when we think about baptism, baptism is a command. It's what we call an ordinance. It's a practice of the church. Hey, be kind to branch there. Keep them in the bowl. We think about in Matthew 28, before Jesus left this earth, one of the last commands that he gave to his disciples was that you go and you make disciples and you what? You baptize them. You baptize them. You initiate them into God's family. You show that they are on team Jesus. In the book of Acts, people were saved. They put their faith in Jesus. They were baptized. And guess what? 
they were belonging to the church. They joined the church. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, it says that God added to the number of the church after people were baptized. Now, you may think to ourselves, well, the practice of baptism then, well, a lot of times was people believed and then they were baptized immediately. Well, we don't always do that here in our culture. Why is that? Why is it that sometimes people put their trust in Jesus, but maybe we wait a little while before they get baptized? And that's because we remember that the context and the culture was different. Think about it. If people put their faith in Jesus back right after Jesus rose from the dead, was Jesus a popular figure back then? A yes and a no, right? To the Christians, he was great. He was very popular. But to the leaders, not so much. In fact, they wanted to put Christians to death. And so the fact that people were willing to stand up and say, you know what, I want to follow Jesus back then, meant, you know what, I'm willing to, I'm willing to follow Jesus even unto death. And we recognize that our culture, that sometimes looks different, right? To put our faith in Jesus in central Illinois, not that it's an easy decision, but it's a relatively safer decision, isn't it? maybe a little bit more comfortable decision. So sometimes we do delay that to just tease that out and make sure that that is genuine. But one of the things I like to talk about with baptism as well is really what baptism then means for you as a Christian. One of the things that you have to ask yourself if maybe you're ready for baptism. I want to go to Acts chapter 2 for a moment. Acts chapter 2 verse 28. We'll wrap this up here in just a moment. But Acts chapter 2, verse 28. Oh, might have had the wrong, wrong passage here, actually. I don't know why. I... Yep, apparently I had the wrong verse there. So anyways, I'm just going to tell you where it comes from sometime. But um, in the early... Uh, early church in this in the early chapters of acts when people when the disciples were doing so they were getting punished because they were speaking in the name of jesus now to do something in the name of somebody else was to show your commitment and your allegiance to them and so when we think about baptism baptism is a sign of allegiance to as you've maybe heard us talk about here at maybe newcastle it's to say that you are on team jesus so, maybe a good way of thinking about this. So, who's a Chicago Cubs fan here? Who's a Chicago Cubs? You guys are Cubs fans? You are? Okay, standing up here then. Everybody give, give justice a round of applause here. Yeah. Ridicule me. Yeah. Ridicule me, I awesome. dare you. There you go. Justice, I would like you to put this on. Yeah, go ahead and put that on for me. No, just, just slip it on over. You're allowed to. I can ask you do like a full wardrobe change here. Ah, oh, boo. Poor sport. Knew I should have asked somebody else here. You can sit down. So. I should make you wear it still. So years ago, uh, I lived out in... I lived out in California, and one of, my first, uh, one of my first few weeks that I was there, I was really excited because the St. Louis Cardinals, who I am an avid fan of, they were playing the Los Angeles Dodgers. 
And I was like, you know what? I love going to baseball stadiums. I would love to see the St. Louis Cardinals play at Dodger Stadium. Seemed like the coolest thing to me. Thing you have to realize is uh, Dodger Stadium, if you know anything about Dodger fans, baseball fans, they are amongst the cruelest and most loyal and fearsome of fans that there are uh, in a very not so flattering way. Uh, they're like people who like will beat up people from opposing teams like the fans will like not just the players the fans will do that uh, they almost killed somebody like who was a Giants fan there a few years before I had gone so I was walking into the stadium that night knowing I was one of only a couple of people in that entire stadium wearing a St. Louis Cardinals jersey in fact my my idea that night was just don't be the most obnoxious fan and I should I should get out of there alive but I recognized going in there that night that by putting on a Cardinals jersey I was representing a team that was not very popular in that arena. That I was probably gonna get some criticism. I was gonna probably get some cheek for representing the Cardinals when everybody else was pretty much there to represent the Dodgers. Now, I don't wanna overwhelm you with this, but I do want you to also understand, because I think it's appropriate to think about this. When you get baptized, when you decide to take that step of faith that says, you know what, I believe that my faith is genuine, that I am actually rooted in Jesus, that he is covering my life, and I want to actually step forward in faith and make that public and, and actually get baptized in water in front of the church. To do so, you are saying, I am willing to put on the Team Jesus jersey, and I'm willing to step out into a world that doesn't always like Jesus. In fact, the world is naturally hostile towards Jesus. Now, Central Illinois, that might look a little bit different, but the world is changing. But you have to recognize that one of the big indicators that says, yes, I'm ready to do this step, is that I'm willing to represent Team Jesus, even in a world where that, that's not going to be popular, where I might be ridiculed for it, where I might get pushed back and people might challenge me, but I'm still willing, even though imperfectly and not always to the best of my abilities, but I am willing to still stand up for Jesus in this world. It is a commitment. It is commitment, but it's also a commitment, guys, to church. It's a sign that says, you know what? I want to be a part of what God's church is doing. You have to understand when we look at the New Testament, there was no such thing as a non-baptized Christian. When people put their faith and they wanted to identify with Jesus, they took that step and they were baptized. It's an expression of love, not just for Jesus, but then Jesus' church. Because people then, when they were baptized, they were being baptized not into an individual relationship with Jesus, but a relationship with other people, with his church. That's why we are calling this belonging to God's body, because baptism shows that you are now part of that family of God. I want to end with just kind of that question of, well, then who should get baptized? Who should get baptized? So far, these passages have made it very clear to us that baptism is reserved for those who have believed and who have truly put their faith in Jesus. Baptism is reserved for those who are already followers of Christ and want to make it public, who want to say, yes, I want to be on Team Jesus. It's to make a public declaration to the church and to the world that you want to identify with Jesus. And while it is something greatly worth celebrating, it's also a very serious step for what it indicates. So what about non-Christians? Well, obviously, 
it's not appropriate for non-Christians to get baptized. Because guess what? Baptism doesn't save you. Sometimes I think our language indicates that in our culture. I remember when I was in uh, first grade, I, had, uh, I went to a Christian school, and yet my first grade teacher, I remember she asked the question that if, if Jesus were to return tomorrow, how many of you will be baptized? I remember like thinking about that later on in life. So what she was saying was she was equating with if I had not been baptized and I wasn't going to be amongst Jesus' people. He wasn't going to save me. He wasn't going to rescue me. But here's the deal. You don't decide to be saved. Your hope is not in baptism. Baptism shows you are serious about Jesus, which is not true of non-Christians. So it's not going to change you by doing it. If you're a non-Christian, it's not going to give you any extra grace before God. Because baptism, the point of it is to show that you have died to your old ways of your life and you have been raised new, which is not true of somebody who has not put their faith in Jesus. So when should you get baptized? And that's, that's an important question to have. There's no set age, but based on what we've learned, it comes when someone has obviously become a Christian. You have to ask good questions to really gauge the readiness of that. I was seven years old when I got baptized first time, and guess what? I wasn't ready. In fact, I wasn't a Christian. Basically, was asked the question of, well, do you love Jesus? Yeah, I love Jesus. You want to get baptized? Yeah, I want to get baptized. And that was the extent of it. I really want to get baptized because a bunch of my friends were too. So that was really the real motivation behind it. Reality is I didn't really truly get baptized water baptized to actually symbolize my faith until I was 22. I got baptized again because I realized, well, I wasn't a Christian the first time I did. I want to do this the right way. And so good questions that you need to ask yourself if you're considering this is, why do you want to get baptized? Do, do you understand the gospel, what Paul was talking about there in Romans of what it means to be united with Jesus? Can you clearly share how God has saved you? What do you, what do your parents think? What do your church leaders think? And is there evidence of spiritual fruit in your life? And as we talked about already tonight, are you ready to stand up for Jesus in this world? A little bit of a commotion. We're going to get this done. Uh, so perhaps some of you tonight are already, uh, you're thinking through some of these things. Maybe you're processing for yourself whether or not this is the next step that you want to do. And if so, just know we'd love to have you talk with one of our leaders or set up a time to meet with your parents and talk about that together. It's an exciting step, and it's one that's important for you to think about as to how you can belong to God's body. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll talk about what the rest of our evening looks like together. Enjoy our time of fellowship and processing together. So let's pray. God, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for the privilege to just meet together to really process more of what it looks like to, to actually be baptized, to understand that the first baptism that takes place in our life is when we actually put our faith and our trust in you, the, the thing that uh, puts us in Christ, that unites us with him in his death and his resurrection, to know that we have been made brand new, that we're no longer the same, but that you identify us first and foremost, by Jesus and not our old way of life and our, our messes and our sins, but you have, you look at us and you see Jesus. And so I pray that we would better understand what that truly looks like so that then, Lord, we can greater appreciate the picture of what water baptism is and how you have so beautifully put together a picture of what it looks like to be 
uh, inaugurated and really built into your church. So help us to better comprehend that, I pray tonight for those who are maybe wrestling with this question and trying to figure out their readiness and their understanding of this teaching. So please give them wisdom, give them, give them peace. And if it's the case, Lord, give them humility to have that conversation with one of their leaders or uh, myself or their parents uh, so that we can best know how to help them move forward in steps of faith. So we love you. We thank you for this night. Thank you again for the Rassies and their hospitality. Pray that you would bless the rest of our evening together. In Jesus' name, amen.